When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Social Security is one of the most complex and confusing federal programs. With over 2,700 rules, it's no wonder that we're confused about when and how to start collecting and who to turn to for help. Welcome to Social Security Answers from the Experts, hosted by Martha Shedden. In this podcast series, Martha meets with professionals to provide you with the answers to questions about this most important financial decision. And now, here's your host, President and co-founder of the National Association of Registered Social Security Analysts, Martha Shedden. Welcome, everyone, to our podcast. I'm Martha Shedden, and today I'm pleased to have Chris Fleming with me on the show. Chris is the co-founder of LPF Advisors and has been a financial advisor in Sarasota, Florida since 1999. He's a chartered retirement planning counselor and an accredited investment fiduciary and also a behavioral financial advisor. He has co-authored the book Plan of Action Strategies to Help You Build and Preserve Your Wealth. So welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's going to be a good time, Martha. Looking forward to it. Yes. And I have some great questions for you. Um, I know you have, we all have our unique stories about how we are, have gotten to where we are. And you have an interesting story about how you got into the financial services industry. Explain to our listeners uh, from the beginning how scuba diving and bartending at an Italian restaurant in Florida led you to this career? Yeah, it kind of sounds like a Billy Joel song, right? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm from Nebraska originally. I moved to Florida in the late 90s. Um, Had no idea what I wanted to do for a living. My background was in psychology. Can't really do much with that, you know, unless you're going to go on with your education. So I was bartending and uh, at night and during the day, I was teaching scuba diving lessons. Florida is a good place to do that. And one of the uh, evenings I was bartending, there was a woman that would come in and sit at the bar and uh, we got to talking. She came in quite a bit. She ended up being a a regional manager for a financial services firm. And she thought that I would uh, do well at what she did, which was financial advice and told me that I should probably interview um, went in and did that. They hired me and really had no people that I could prospect to or anybody that wanted to work with me. Or <laughs> even if I told my story, they probably wouldn't have been interested in that. They probably would have thought I was crazy. And the truth be told, um, growing up, I was awful with money. So I wow. was like as a kid and I was I spent it when I got it uh, in college. I was uh, kind of paycheck to paycheck. I was spending the money as I got it. So I had awful financial habits or, you know, um, not so much because of my upbringing, but just that's the way that I live. So I had to learn those things over time. So I thought, well, maybe this would be a, a good way for me to get my, my stuff together. 
And I like helping people. And um, I've heard that it could, could be a, a good career, a lucrative career, if you're uh, good at it and you can help others. So that's kind of how I got into it. Well, the background in psychology makes sense. Oh, yeah. Well, the majority of what I do, uh, contrary to popular belief, people think it's all about the number crunching. The vast majority of the time that I spend is uh, talking to people, helping them make decisions, helping them do things that are in their best interest, helping them to avoid making really bad decisions. And that all has to do with the psychology of it or what they call kind of the buzzword today is behavioral finance, um, which is the psychology behind the behaviors, why we make decisions that we do when it comes to financial decisions. And that was my very next question, because I know we're both CRPCs, and I appreciate that you're an accredited investment fiduciary, but I, I wondered about the behavioral finance, financial advisor, and I, I find that as being a, a chartered retirement planning counselor, you really are a counselor. You are dealing with something that's so um, emotional and personal. And so is that why you got that, that designation? Yeah, that's part of it. And, and I was, had the interest in the background in psychology. And, and you know this, Martha, people do not make financial decisions typically based on um, fact or rational. Yeah. Um, they do it based on their feelings, right? Yeah. So we know that. Um, but the why behind that and, and the motivations behind that and um, why people are motivated to make decisions based on their emotion is what I was really interested in. So that um, accreditation that I have was a deep dive into the whys behind that. Um, also talking about uh, the different biases that we have when it comes to making decisions um, about finances or any other things. So that really helped me when I was in conversations with people and I was working with people to understand that their opinion on something may be completely different than either mine or what I think they should think. Right. We always do that, right? It's like, well, this, this is obvious. Why don't you just think the same way as me? Yeah. Right? What yeah. are you, a dummy? Right. But it's just because they might have a different background or they may have different life experiences. And so for that reason, um, they may think differently than us. Um, so that helped me understand that and not get frustrated by it, but then to help them work through those things and make them aware of why maybe they were making the decision and then they could come to a different conclusion. I mean, that's rooted in our our childhood, really, in our upbringing, that financial conversation that goes on mm -hmm. in our heads. And I totally understand what you're saying and appreciate that that goes into your, your planning as a financial uh, advisor. And it uh, could even be the lack thereof. So some people don't have any financial upbringing or, or any right. education growing up on that in school or their parents. I mean, there are certain topics that are taboo. Usually it's politics and religion, right? Well, with some families, it's even talking about money. Oh, so for sure. yeah. they may not have really any background or upbringing in it at all. And that's even a bias or a, a lens to look through when you're making a financial decision. It's just to avoid it. I yeah. just don't want to deal with it. So um, I even run into that sometimes with clients uh, in relationships that I have with people. Yeah, definitely. Um, I came across your Sam talk a few years back where you were talking about the work-life balance as a financial advisor, which I think applies to all of us, whatever we're doing. What was the synopsis? Can you share with our listeners about that, that talk? Um, yep. 
And is it specific that financial advisors have trouble finding that balance or is that just basically apply to all of us? Well, I think that a work-life balance, I mean, it's kind of a buzzword and it's kind of cliche. So you can call it whatever you want, work-life balance or life-work balance or live to work and work to live. All those things fit into that. So I think it's applicable to anyone. In my particular situation, um, I was blessed that we got really successful in a short period of time, okay, because of um, some niche markets that we serve. And so we had a tremendous amount of growth in a short period of time. And when we got on the other side of that, what I found was is that um, the business owned me, okay? So I was spending all of my time in it, although monetarily that was great, but I other things were going by the wayside that I knew were much more important to me in the, in the whole scheme of things. And so I needed to rework that um, scenario to where I have more of a work-life balance. Now that involved bringing on some people to help with the workload, but it also it involves some soul searching, some internal reflection on what was really important to me and being more intentional about making time for the things that I was saying that were important, but I wasn't making time for them, which it's different for everyone. But in my case, it's, it's my family and my kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the way to live. And I, I see that in the younger generation more than in my, in the baby boomers that um, they're not going to settle for that. Uh, they want that balance. And I, I think more power to them. I think that's a wonderful way to be and to plan your career with that in mind. I think you're right. And what the younger generation needs to consider, though, is in exchange for that, they have to be especially astute at their money management and their financial planning. Because if you want to have more of a work-life balance, then you've got to have your finances in order, which will allow you to do that. You know, cost of living goes up. It certainly Mm -hmm. isn't less expensive to live. And so to make those things a priority... Um, you can't just be loosey goosey with your finances. You have to you have to be on top of that um, in order to do that, because otherwise you won't have the income coming in that allows you to have that work life balance. Or if you have that work life balance, then you're gonna you might suffer in another area from a financial standpoint. Everything's about trade offs. It is. Do you find um, yourself? Well, I'm going to go into your your client profile because I also. Okay. Um, looked you up on Smart Advisor, and I read that your company of, I don't know if this is out of date, but roughly 700 accounts or so, um, that only 2% are associated with high net worth clients. Is that is that true? Yes. Yeah, that might be a little out of date. We we've served about 1,200 families now Okay. Uh, in total. So that could be maybe five or six years um, yeah. old. And um, I would describe our clients that we primarily work with as being the mass affluent. So if I was going to put a number on it, it might be someone that has a portfolio value of between 250,000 and 2 million. All right. So um, these are people that have saved enough money probably to be able to afford to retire at some point, but they don't have so much money put aside that they can't be concerned or worried about possibly running out. Okay. And um, they typically are people who want to delegate responsibility of managing their finances to to an expert. They have other things that they want to do other than worry about their money. And they they will clearly admit, um, I don't know a lot about this. I need someone that I trust implicitly 
that I can do this with. So then I can enjoy my life and focus on the things that are most important to me. Now, by way of that, what does happen is, is those relationships sometimes turn into um, referrals or introductions into people who own businesses or what we would consider to be higher net worth individuals. Where we live, there is a tremendous amount of competition for what you would consider high net worth investors and individuals. And so what we try to do when we're looking at a group of people that we want to serve, we want to go as a company where there isn't as much competition, but there is still a need for advisors from people who will readily admit that they need one. And we like that group of people. Yeah, that mass affluent. I mean, it's the same with Social Security income planning. That That's uh, just a wide open uh, area there. I just think it's wonderful because I think there's so many financial professionals who are focused on the wealth management and there's such a need for that, that middle group there. Do and it can be, it can be a comprehensive solution. So even those people I described, they still need what you would call wealth management or planning, which is essentially right. all the areas of someone's finances, not just investing, but the, all the other areas they need guidance on that. They need assistance with that. There may be some blind spots there that they need to take care of. They're not aware of. Mm-hmm. That's all part of what we do with the people is point those things out and guide them along to get that stuff done. So then they feel like they're in a much better place. Do you find that um, most of your work is uh, with retirement age, with younger mm-hmm. What's that split in your client base? Yep. So the majority of the people are, let's say, 50 and over. So they're in preparation for retirement, either close to it or getting ready to do it pretty soon. That's the majority, partly because those are some of the niches we serve and also because of the age of of the people where we live. Okay. Now, what I've done in the last five years or so, and this is fun for me, is I've also got a service for younger people. You know, a lot of times people think I have to have some money for the advisor to invest in order to work with them. And that that doesn't have to be that way. So I have several relationships now with younger people or younger couples or millennials that are doing well and want to make good decisions. And they don't necessarily have money that I could manage or accounts that I could manage. And I don't want to make that a requirement. So We do kind of a consulting arrangement, or I call it like a project, where we agree what we're going to talk about and what I'm going to give them advice on. And then we uh, work together to get those recommendations together. And then we just charge them a a flat cost or like a planning fee or a flat dollar amount for that work. And that includes the meetings, and they can check in with us when they need to. Um, And that's nice because they get the advice that they need because they're trying to do well, too. Right. And I'm, I'm also compensated for the time that I spend and the expertise that I provided. So I like doing that um, because it's exciting to say, hey, you have all this time in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> and you're making a great income. If you just do like these seven things or six things, you're going to rock it. You know, yeah. you are, you're going to kill it. So yeah. um, and for them to say, yes, you know, I, I see what you're saying and I'm going to put that in, into motion. Um, that's exciting for me, too. It's very exciting. I that compound interest is a, a huge motivator. If you can educate that generation to to understand right. that, and I'm so happy to hear you say that you offer that you know the fee only project type service because um, I think the younger generation is missing out by not becoming financially literate at a younger age. 
So I know well, the, the schools aren't going to do it. Um, most parents aren't equipped to do it, even though they might have good intentions. Yeah. Um, the government's not going to do it. You know, so it's either you have to educate yourself or work with somebody to help you. And like I said, it, it, it's only really like six or seven things if you do them well, you know, and you'll be in a way better position 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road than you were if you didn't. And I'm not just talking about compound interest and talking, you know, yeah. across yeah. the board from a, from a planning standpoint. Right. There's so much. I see that as another book you might be able to write. Okay. I'm writing that down. And that's what I need. Another book. <laughs> and I, am working on, I, I am working on the second book right now. Oh, you are. Okay. That'll be the third one. Yes. Okay. I was going to ask you about your first book, but you can tell me about both your books. So the first one was a uh, plan of action strategies to help you build and preserve wealth. Yes, that was. Uh, so that was one that I co-authored with about 10 other financial advisors. Okay. We each contributed chapter. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's why I was a co-author of that book. I don't want to take credit for writing the entire thing. And my chapter was more philosophical. Um, I'm more of a, I, I understand numbers and I know how to use them and I can talk about them, but that's not really where I get overly excited. So mine was more philosophical in nature. And this was right after the financial crisis um, oh. back in 07 and 08. Yeah. So what I talked about in there was my view or opinion on how we got to the point that we got to um, with the financial crisis, not so much the, the, the high level macro reasons that it occurred, right. but some of the micro reasons or some of the attitudes that the country had or people in the country had about why we got to that point. And then I proposed kind of a change of mindset on what, how people would have to think a little bit differently going forward so the financial crisis wouldn't happen again. And then finally, I put forth about 15 uh, ideas or concepts in there on if people did some combination of those or did most of those, that one, they would be in a position where they wouldn't, wouldn't have their own financial crisis, uh-huh. and two, would, would make a tremendous amount of progress towards the financial goals that they had. And I called those the 15 for 50, which were the 15 ideas for the next 50 years, they should be good for at least 50 years, Martha, um, before they become outdated on things that people could do. Wonderful. So that was the book you co-authored. That was when I co-authored, and right. Can you share anything about your second book or is that a secret? Yeah, the second one is uh, actually going to um, be a summary of several interviews that I've done uh, for my podcast. So there are, uh, I do a weekly podcast uh, as well called the Confident Retirement Podcast. And you were recently a guest on that and you did amazing. So I'm picking interviews from that and we're writing some summaries from there of the different interviews that I feel like are appropriate for the audience, the type of people that would be interested that I serve on the topics that I picked in there. So there's some it's it all has to do with the areas of financial planning that most people would think of when they think of wealth management and okay. there's several experts in those areas like medicare uh estate planning uh accounting or tax um insurance protection type stuff that would all cover those different areas um that, that i go through when i'm working with someone comprehensively okay Great. And I'm hoping Social Security will be included in that too. Well, there's, I don't want to, I don't want to reveal anything right now, but there's a good 
chance that there will be a section in there on social security claiming. Um, can you share a story with us about how you helped a soon to be retired? Because I'm so focused on retirement age, um, a soon to be retiree uh, with their financial life that that really changed things for them. Okay, so you're saying like um, they th- that made a big impact on their particular right? Situation. Were they going yeah. in the wrong direction? What you know? Yep. How did you help them? Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, recently, I consulted with someone who had um, retired from a large corporation, and they had a whole bunch of decisions that they had to make. Um, they had a pension um, from that company they had to make a decision on. They had a retirement plan. They were of Social Security age, and so they could make that decision if they wanted to. And then they also, because our real estate market is so hot in yeah. Sarasota, they also were thinking of selling their house and relocating. And so typical situation, but where they ran into some issues with is they had some assumptions that they had made about they were just going to go ahead and and take their Social Security early. Um, They were also going to take a tremendous amount of money out of one of their retirement plans in order to buy uh, an RV. Okay. And then also they just assumed that taking the pension as a uh, lump sum um, was just a decision that they should make um, because a lot of their friends were doing that. Okay. So not to get too complicated, but essentially we had to walk through all three of those and I had to explain to those how they all interacted from a tax standpoint and also from the standpoint of, well, you might not be looking at this with a long-term view. You may not understand what the long-term impact of this. So let's go through that. Let's make an informed decision. And so he and the, and his spouse came to different conclusions about how they were going to approach all that. I helped them figure out a different way to buy the RV that wasn't so tax disadvantageous. Um, Also, we changed our mind on the pension on how we were going to take that. And then we also looked at different claiming strategies with Social Security and having the higher wage earner defer weight to do it so then the spouse would have a better survivor benefit at the end. So now, and what they told me after we had kind of gone through everything was, you know, we thought we just had it all figured out. We were just coming in here to bounce our ideas off of you. And basically for you to tell us that what we were planning to do was right. And we were, right. and, I, and they said, well, I appreciate that you had the courage to tell us that we should think about it in a different way and lead us in that direction. Um, because we see now that those had long-term effects, you know, over, over our life. And that would potentially cost us a lot of money. Did you say the spouses came to different conclusions or did you say both of them came? Both to- of them did. Yeah, yeah, both of them did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is what I consider that holistic type of uh, retirement planning. It can't one piece can't be done by itself in a vacuum. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. such an interaction between all that and um it's really, it's really difficult and complicated to get that all together, but it, it sure pays off if, you know, with minimizing taxes or managing taxes, using those accounts in the right sequence, uh, taking the, the correct amounts out. It's not as simple as I'm going to use 4% of my assets every year. Yeah. You can almost think of it as a, it's a complex puzzle. 
And so, yeah, someone could probably sit down and do the puzzle. You know, they could buy the box, dump it out on the table and, you know, sit down and do it. Um, But if you bought the box and then you invited somebody over that had done the puzzle 10 times, then it would probably go faster and you'd probably get a better result, right? So a lot of what we do is this puzzle thing. A lot of people think, well, yeah, I'll just, I can put the puzzle together, right? And maybe they like that it takes 10 times longer because they do it themselves, right? There are those people and they may come to the same conclusion, but if you someone else has done it multiple times, they can have it go easier. You probably have a more enjoyable time and you felt like you got to the solution and you had someone else's input. The other thing I always think of is, you know, every, most people trust their doctor or they end up switching their doctors. And unless you're going to tell them all the symptoms, unless you're going to talk to them about all the different things that has to do with your health, then they can't really come to a good uh-huh. solution on what, on what you should do or what they should prescribe or the treatment protocol or what test you should get. So when someone's willing to open themselves up and to talk about all those things in their life, then that generally results in a better outcome for them. That's Definitely true. Both of those are true. And I love your analogy of a puzzle because I love doing puzzles, (laughs) love solving problems. I have two puzzles right now where I'm stuck on all the other pieces left are one color. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's the worst. Right. Yeah. I could could have my kids come over. I I hate puzzles. (laughs) I don't like I don't like actual puzzles. My wife every year gets one out like at Thanksgiving and I walk by the table and just roll my eyes and then they all sit down and do it. Um, sometimes I'll come in there and put a few pieces, but um, yes. Yeah. I, think I you either love uh, puzzles or you, you don't at all. Right. There's no middle ground. I agree. No, yeah, no but that's isn't. an excellent analogy and excellent. Um, Based on your experience, what do you think are the top two or three most important takeaways for financial professionals Mm. that are helping their clients at that time with Social Security and Mm. their retirement planning? Okay. Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think um, the three things that come to mind are you need to start the conversation early. So I will frequently have people in their 50s call me and go, well, I'm not planning on leaving my company or retiring until I'm 65 or 62. I don't know if I should come in now. And what I always tell them is, is yes, let's do it. Because if there's some things that are broken or you're behind or we need to catch up or do some things to get you where you want to go, then we have time on our side to fix it. So we want to start those conversations early. We want to know in advance so then if we have to change uh, course, we have the course correct, then we have time to do that. Um, the second one is to be aware of bias. Now, I'm not talking about political bias here. What I'm talking about is those biases that we all have um, when it comes to making decisions or about our finances. Um, a couple of them that come to mind, we have a, uh, a bias where we only think about the stuff that happened to us or the events that occurred most recently. And so then those things have more of an effect on our decision-making because it's fresher in our mind. Okay. Then there's another bias where we seek out, and we all do this, we seek out the information that supports the idea or the decision that we think we want to come to. Okay. So you might do a Google search that says, 
reasons to take Social Security at 62, right? So <laughs> all the articles that you read are in support of taking Social Security at 62. Yeah. So you, the stuff you found supported what you already wanted to do, okay? So, so and that's part of uh, my job is to help people be aware of those biases and to talk through them and talk about the effect they may be having, the impact they may be having on their decision-making at that time. Okay. Um, and then the third thing that I think we can do in our industry is we have to have the courage to lead people. And what I mean by that is everyone is afraid, scared. Some people are even lonely, right? Um, they don't want to make bad decisions um, or they're afraid to make a choice. So as advisors, um, we have to have the courage to lead people in the direction that will help them live a better life. And even if they disagree, maybe with our with something that we're going to talk about or suggest, if we believe that it is truly in their best interest for them to consider it or to do it, we have to have the courage to lead them in that direction, even if they say no, or I disagree, or I understand what you're saying, but I'm not going to do it. I have had many occasions where clients have said, Chris, you gave me the advice. I didn't follow it exactly. I did some of it, or I kind of, we differentiated an opinion on some of this. I'm just glad that you had the courage to tell me what you thought I should do. And I appreciate you for that. And that means a lot to me, more so than just telling me what I wanted to hear or going along with what I wanted to do because it was convenient or easy for you to do that. Right. And that goes to that trust issue, I think, as a financial advisor. They know you have their best interests in mind. And don't you think that that is a big, big part of success as in the financial world is having that trust with your clients? I do. I do. And I think it can even go beyond trust. So if you ask me, Chris, is trust the highest level of I don't know, um, connection that you can have with a client. Um, two, three years ago, my answer to that would have been yes. But actually today, my answer is no. I think that trust is just a baseline, meaning that's just expected. So right. when a client comes in here for the first time and talks to me, um, that's just an expectation that they have that, hey, if I work with this person, I'm going to trust them. So I think what, what goes above and beyond that is having um, of the relationship where the person knows that I have their best interest in mind. They trust me as a baseline, but then they get to a point that they know when I make his recommendation that we are going to do it because they know that in the past I have made recommendations to them or suggestions they either worked out well or proved that I had their best interest in mind. Right. And so the level of detail that they might need in order to make a decision yeah. or the level of analysis that they might need in order for them to say, yes, I go along with that um, reduces. And it's not that I don't do disclosure. It's not that I don't give them all the information I need to make the choice. It's just, we've transcended the trust thing to where it's, I think of it almost as like, a deep friendship. If you're out with a friend and you guys sit down and the waitress comes over, you go or waiter, you go to the bathroom and they go, oh, just order me something I like to your friend. Right. And then you come back and they ordered you some beer and you really liked it. 
And yeah. what, what do you think? You're like, oh, well, they know me, right? Yeah. They know what I like. They know me deeply. And so I didn't care what they ordered. I just trusted that yeah. it would be a good decision for me. It's a really personal relationship mm-hmm. in that financial area. Well, and those are the ones that I'm interested in having. Yeah. Right? Instead of clients just being accounts or numbers, um, I want to like the people that I meet with. I want to enjoy their company. I want, you know, I want there to be a mutual respect. Um, I want them to feel like that they're getting good advice and that uh, the advice is appreciated. So, you know, this life's too short. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, too short. Well, I, we're getting over our time or getting to our time. Um, I just have a couple more questions. So what do you All think right. are the most common questions regarding uh, retirement and social security that people are not asking you? Okay. Um, oh, you mean the questions that they should be asking yeah. probably? Or, okay. Yeah. So I think some, just to real quickly uh, on a high level, um, I think they don't ask the question about what the impact's going to be for their spouse um, if they were to wait. So I think that's a really common one. And then the other one that I think that they don't ask is um, if they, what's the actual benefit of waiting even like a six months or even like a year yeah. or even two years um, from a standpoint of how much it grows over that period of time? They just think, well, I know it's going to be higher, um, you know, in a year, but it might just be like 20 or 30 bucks. Well, probably isn't, you know, and then what impact does that have over your lifetime if you live your life expectancy? Yeah, great. Yep. Very, very true. Okay, well, this has been so fun to talk with you. Um, Where can people go? Do you work remotely? I have some young people who would like to talk with you, I'm sure. Uh, Do you work remotely? Yeah. So with the pandemic or whatever we're calling it, um, I am now an expert, Martha, in all forms of virtual communication. Great. (laughs) Anything that you can think of, I can do it. So yeah, we're licensed in like 22 or 23 states. And I've had a lot of clients that I brought on the last couple of years that I have never met in person. Yeah. Um, We just do like Zoom calls or telephones or whatever their preference is. So yeah, I do have a lot of people that we do remotely. Um, people can look us up. Our website is uh, LPF, that's Larry Paul Frank, advisors, A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com. Okay. Um, and then that's probably the best way. All of our phone numbers are on there. Our contact information is on there as well. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This is wonderful. Yeah, we had a, I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> 